Forward by Farrelly. Ferguson gets to it strongly. Drops it down. Farrelly again. Welcome to Across the Park Extra, myself, Millsy and Judgy with an Everton FC special. Delighted to be joined by a man who's the owner of a goal that's probably the most important Everton post-war goal in our history against Coventry City. It saved, the, saved our Premier League status and God knows what would have happened if we'd have gone down there. Mr Gareth Farrelly, delighted to have you on Across the Park Extra. First of all, how are you? No, very well, thank you. So uh, thanks for the kind invite. Looking forward to speaking to you guys today. Cheers for coming on, Gareth. Uh, before we start, I just want to touch on modern day. I mean, we've had a look at your, your Twitter bio and stuff and, and what you're up to at the moment. You, you recently received a, a UEFA, or you were on a course, the UEFA MIP. Um, yeah. And you received, it looked like you were one of either the first or second cohorts to do it, or certainly one of the you know, first groups it looks like to do it. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how, that, how that's fitting in with what you're doing now? Um, we were part of the second cohort. So basically, UEFA have um, introduced a course for former internationals. It's called Masters for International Players in the the Administration and Management of Football. So it was um, the course is excellent. It was an incredible twenty months. The participants, wow, twenty months. <laughs> yeah, the participants were incredible. Say twenty months because if it's it's a masters program, it's actually broken down into seven five day sessions. Okay. So it was amazing because you got to travel to different footballing cities and spend five days there, obviously focused on a particular yeah. kind of topic. So leadership, um, commerciality, stadium management, different elements around being sporting directors and just basically developing a different understanding to what we would have had when it was just easy, when we were just players and just wow. had to think about playing. So it was, uh, the course was excellent, met some brilliant people. Um, the people who delivered the course were excellent. So uh, it, it, it was a really, really good experience. And to give you kind of the background to that was when I went back to kind of education first to be doing my law degree, I always thought like it would be nice to try and work all the way through education and get to master's level again. So Fair place, yeah. a, a, friend, a friend represented the course, uh, recommended it to me. And obviously, I was able to to get on it and at a, at a fabulous time. So the third cohort are going on with it now. So, as with everybody in this Zoom call, everything's been suspended because of travel and different things. But um, mm. no, it's highly recommended. Brilliant. Well, uh, yeah. Although you're recommending it, neither of us will be able to access it. <laughs> I'll pass it on. I'll pass it on to my fellow international <laughs> player colleague. Yeah. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds better when you say it like that. <laughs> no, oh, no, Gareth. Yeah, what we want to do ideally is, is run through your time as an Everton player. So let, let's go back to, to 1997 when you signed for Everton, you signed for Aston Villa for £700,000. We've got a couple of quotes here from, from the time. Uh, Mick McCarthy, the Ireland manager, was quoted at the time by saying that you were a very talented player, that you, you were very unlucky because Andy Townsend was playing for Aston Villa and keeping you off the side at the time. And you're not yet the finished product but you just need some game time. And to follow up on that, Howard Kendall, your new club manager, he echoed that. He said that you may not be the big name player that the fans were expecting, but you're important to him and you're a player that's bursting to get his chance. Looking back now, uh, 1987, is that a fair assessment of where you were at the time, just a young player bursting to to play first-team football? Yeah, we might have to go back quite a while to 
remember 1997 <laughs> and bloody hell even when you say it like that um yeah yeah very much so i i think there's there's other parts to that kind of story that bring it together a little bit okay more well. which was the fact that i was an evertonian mm-hmm. oh. so i think that was that was kind of key point one so yeah. i had started to break through at aston villa but obviously i wouldn't have put it down to Andy Townsend per se. Aston Villa had a very, very strong team at that time. I had issues with a coach at Aston Villa and basically I had more full caps for Ireland than I had appearances for Aston Villa. Right. Wow. So whilst, whilst Aston Villa was as it was, I knew there was a likelihood I was going to leave. And, and the point around that was, as with all players, and it still happens now, um, they had been aware of me. I'd been there for five years. I actually made my home debut for Villa that year against Everton yeah. at Villa Park. And Villa won 3-1. Mm-hmm. And I played really well. I got man of the match. And then all of a sudden, I went from being, oh, well, afterthought maybe to we need to try and keep him now. And I was actually offered an extra three contracts from Villa to stay. Right. But I, knew, I knew that wasn't going to be the case. So that coincided with obviously Howard getting the job at Everton for the third third time, yeah, and asking saying that would I be interested in having a chat with him? So I'd I'd gone back to Ireland for the kind of the summer break, mind you, everybody's on a break now, but the point <laughs> being that whilst I was at home, I got the call from my agent who said that Howard Kendall is taking the Everton job and would like to meet you. When I flew straight over, I met him at East Midlands Airport and then drove straight up to. Goodison. So I was in Goodison as the press conference took place, and then I met Howard and Adrian Heath straight after. With Viv wow, Busby. that that early in Howard's stay at tenure, you were straight there at the press conference. About yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. And the crazy thing being, I joke about it now, being a lawyer, but my agent was negotiating with the club people at the time, and as soon as I met Howard, as soon as I was at Goodison. I was just, I knew that was what I was going to sign for Everton. So the point was, I signed a blank contract and flew back to Dublin that night. They hadn't yeah, even fast. finished negotiating the contract. <laughs> so I knew I wanted to play for Everton and that was it. There was other clubs who wanted to speak to me. There was different things happened, but that was, that was it as far as I was concerned. And that comes back to young player making progress, young player looking to become established, become regular. I hadn't given any thought to the difficulties Everton had had since... 95, I didn't sit down and do a SWOT analysis based on reasons to sign, reasons to not sign. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to play for Everton. So that was yeah. fundamentally where it was. Love that. Uh, well, well, that summer, the 1997 summer, um, like you say there, we, we'd struggled for a few years and we were sort of, as fans, promised an, a new era. And the names we were linked with were Ravanelli, Les Ferdinand, Paul Ince, uh, yourself, John Oster and Danny Williamson came in and I think in our fans' eyes, with no disrespect, we've seen you as the sort of buffer to those big names. And then the transfer window closed, if you will, or, or maybe back then didn't close, but the season started. Those big names didn't come in. So for the likes of yourself, is that added pressure then that you're now not just a signer, but you're the big signing? Yeah, well, I would have never said we were the big signings. I think the people you've mentioned, we were all young players that had been touted as having huge potential yeah. and I would have stood by that John Oster and Danny Williamson who again had a difficult time when he came to Everton because of injury so mm-hmm. I think in in, an, in a utopian situation you get the scenario where the young players are part of the squad and yeah, introduced yeah. into a team 
as the team's doing well and then you mm. get an opportunity to develop whereas we sort of found ourselves in a situation that we were playing or involved all of the time into yeah. a what became quite a, a pressure situation straight away yeah. so at, when you're young you're naive aren't you? You, you youth is wasted on the young in many ways I just want I just wanted to play like you say the preseason went quite well nobody could have anticipated what kind of yeah. happened with regards to the season itself the other point being Slavin Bilic had signed Mm. from West Ham before Joe Royal had left and then obviously he came back from the World (laughs) Cup having had a a brilliant World Cup so like you say thinking about it now and like reflecting back big signings I don't think we were young young with lots of potential but we ended up obviously being a a bigger part of the team than we might have been say ready for it's not necessarily that but in a team that's struggling it's obviously harder for people to try and impose themselves, develop themselves and stand out. The only people in teams in that scenario who usually impress are the goalies because they end up having a lot more work to do. And that ended up being the case with Thomas Myra, who was who was exceptional that year when he yeah, came he in. Was, yeah, yeah. Well so, look at sorry, go on, Gary. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say go moving on to the ninety seven, ninety eight season, from a fan's perspective, we weren't sure what we were going to get, you know, because the start of the season you had you know, it was coming from 2-0 down against Arsenal, beating Liverpool 2-0 one minute, to not winning for like six or seven games. As a player, how did you find, you know, from the start of the season up to Christmas, what was your perception on what type of season you thought it was going to be? I know it's a tough one looking uh, back. No, no, yeah, yeah, but not how it transpired. Yeah. And I think, not, not, not a naivety, but you, 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 were, you were hopeful. And, and, and I think that there's many levels to it. What's like that question because the first question is you obviously want to play well for yourself yeah, so yeah, be, be at your fittest be at your strongest and look to play well and say every player is different so you would obviously got used to the identity of the dogs of war and we talk about mm, doing this yeah. podcast now and the last few days have been about winning the FA Cup in 95 and there was a clear mm. identity there and a different sort of atmosphere because everybody expected the club to kick on again then didn't they if you think yeah. about it and you look at some of the players that were involved, some like top, top players. So I think the club has always sort of been striving for, oh, we're nearly there or we know where we want to get to. Mm, but yeah. then you ended up in a situation where it became negative quite quickly because you're challenging yourself and you're asking yourself the same questions the fans are, which is like, it's not really happening at the minute. Why? Mm. But mm. you've obviously got a better understanding of the why when you're, when, when you're close part to it. Yeah have an understanding of that so from a young player's point of view it was difficult Michael Ball came in and Michael Ball did very very well yeah. but it was um, it, it, it was a it was a hard time and it, for me being an Evertonian it was still a challenge because whilst having been a fan from afar coming to Everton and then getting a, an awakening with regards to the, the intensity and the demands of playing at Everton that took a little bit of getting used to as well mm. But another, you just mentioned one of the players I was going to ask about next, which is which was Michael Ball. But another player who who kind of burst onto the scene in that season was was Danny Casamatri. He got five goals in in nine games. Um, as a, again, what what was Dan, What was your perception of how Danny came in? Was, did he look like he was going to be one of them players in, in training who was going to, you know, was going to take the you know I suppose the game by the scruff of the neck as a young player, or was it kind of a bit of a surprise how he? How he came in and scored so so fluently I, early. I think I think you would he, he would probably say it wasn't a surprise in any way, right? Mm-hmm. But I think one of the, one of the one of the things at that time was the strength of the 
youth team. Yeah, like yeah. The, the youth team in 98 won the FA Youth Cup. Right, yeah. And like yeah. there, there, you can go through the team and there's a lot of people who did incredibly well at that time. I think what he had was he had incredible um, pace, power and belief. And obviously, with that rawness, he was able to affect that breakthrough and people didn't really have an understanding of him as a player. So he, yeah. he did what a lot of young players do, which is have that immediate impact. And obviously, yeah. you look back at the derby, you look back at different things that it, it was a positive for the fans who were probably hoping and looking for somebody that was going to make that season exciting a for them. It was a surprise like. factor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much yeah. so. But again, for him, that comes back to trying to see a player's development properly is that the normal route would be somebody comes in and has a massive impact, but then they can be looked after, taken out of the team for a few weeks because you naturally get a spike in their performance and then there may be a dip and having a recognition of how all of that works. But because we ended up in a pressure situation, people were being asked to play more and there was different demands probably put on younger players that might not have been the case if the situation and circumstance had been different. Well, you just allude it there. Obviously, uh, Danny had the, you know, he came based onto the scene, but then he found things difficult as the season went on. And, and again, as, as I suppose, different opponents, different teams worked them out. There was also two captains in that team that season as well. It was almost split in half between Gary Speed and, and Duncan Ferguson. Um, I suppose, again, a reflection of how the season developed. Duncan maybe took uh, again, reading in between the lines, maybe got given a bit more responsibility as a as a more of a clubman than, than Gary was. They're obviously very two very different. Well, they were two very different personalities. How did you find them both as captains? Um, again, I don't think I would have given a lot of thought at the time. I yeah. think the, the the point with Gary Speed was, and again, God rest his soul, yeah, had an incredible career and was 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 adored by the Everton fans as well. But I think he was uncomfortable with. The regime and where the club mm. was going and obviously he made a decision at that time that he wants to leave he obviously yeah. left for Newcastle mm. whereas then Dunk would have been the natural kind of um, leader or inspirational figure that people would have looked to and again he stepped up to that mark because I think when he became captain then like obviously there was the Bolton game people relay about where he scored the hat-trick and he scored yeah. goals in between and it, it was it was just a strange strange time yeah sure well, the, the Merseyside derby, the first derby of the season was October and you were injured for it, but you did play at Anfield in February. So I think we drew 1-1, Big Duncan scored at the cop end. We were winning 1-0, um, we couldn't quite hold on. But let's go back to you being a, a young Evertonian and obviously watching Merseyside derbies. All of a sudden, you're now playing in a Merseyside derby. As a player, does that come into your head or, or have you got to sort of block that out and then maybe at these times now look back at that and feel it was a special moment? I think the thing from a career point of view is you very rarely stand still during your career and step out on the ground and think, oh my God, look at this, it's amazing. Yeah. Right? And um, it's more on reflection that you kind of give thought to those things because, again, we go back to being a kid and making the list of the things you wanted to do and the things you hoped to do. <laughs> and being in school and uh, drawing the Everton crest on your copybook or writing out the team that <laughs> played for Everton on that Saturday. Right? Yeah. They, they were the dreams and different things you had. Um. And that was growing up in Dublin. As I say, I was I was I get asked about it quite a lot. But in Dublin at that time, people naturally supported Liverpool or Man United. Celtic were always every Irish yeah. lad second team anyway, and always will be. But the point was, I remember in 1983, and it's, it makes me sound older now as I keep talking about it. But like, <laughs> it was it was seeing the kit, and it was starting to see them play. And then my interest in Everton grew. And then in '84, 
obviously the build-up and different things around the FA Cup and seeing everything that went with that. So that was me hooked. So there was always that was that that was my team. So you, you bring that on then, and obviously I missed the, the, the derby at home, which I was desperate to play in. But then any Merseyside derby to play in is incredible. So yeah. the Anfield one was no different. The atmosphere was incredible. Again, I think at that time Liverpool were an excellent footballing team, but you were kind of confident you'd get something and. We, we we played really really well, and in fairness, we should have won the game. But it was it was it was a really really positive experience. Uh, Mikel Madar missed an open goal, didn't he? Uh, at one yeah, nil, well, he yeah. yeah. Dizzy, we, really? joke about, we joke about assists, a great <laughs> pass. I would have been well happy, and then like to say, <laughs> if or maybe. Yeah. Um, moving moving further on to the season, um, we, we only picked up four points between March between March and May. That put us in a you know in the predicament really. I suppose, in terms of results that we end up being in. But before we go on to the, the, the infamous last game, as a young player, and you touched on it before because you weren't expecting the season to go that way, I think you, you also said that, I guess, that relegation wasn't really on your minds until maybe later on in the season. Um, as a young player, finding yourself in that situation, how was that mentally for you? An Evertonian, a young, you know, young player, and, and suddenly, you know, I suppose the thought must enter your mind that you could be part of a group the first group, to, you know, for Everton to, to go down under. Yeah, but I, I like the way you've made the big build up now to the story on that point about going under or going relegation. <laughs> I would, I, I never, I never contemplated relegation, and it wasn't something that was, I don't think, was on anybody's radar. Yeah, I think the young player point is not said as an excuse, but it comes back to you're learning on your feet, and as I say, even uh, fans' perception sometimes. So even within a team, you may have someone who kick somebody up in the air, gets a yellow card and the fans think, oh my God, he cares. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And you know what I mean? And that, oh, he'll, mm. he'll live or die, he'll die for the club and you have these things. Different players, it's different challenges and experiences. I was a footballer, so if I wasn't on the ball in a game, <clears throat> you came yeah. off the pitch and despite fans letting you know what they thought, you, you taught those things anyway. And I, from a personality point of view, I found it incredibly challenging because my personality is I'm a perfectionist. So if nine, if nine people came out of Goodison and said to me, you did all right today, lads. And one said, you were crap today. I went on with the one that told me I was crap. And obviously Mace. within that season, you have a situation where you're really, really keen <clears throat> to impress. So you have, you have loads of shots. You hit corner flags. You hit the top of the stand. You make goalkeepers show reels. Oh, we we, we, see, we seen them. We seen them, Gareth. What are we seeing them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the point being about the bravery within that is to keep wanting the ball and to keep yeah. keep trying those things and, and hoping and believing that they'll come right. And like, you used to work so hard in training. There was a group who used to do extra work, Nicky Barnby, you used to work with Neville. There was, it was always the point that if you keep doing the right things, you'll get a reward. Mm. And people naturally apply that to winning things, which is how it is, and that's sports. And you look recently, the Netflix, everybody's... Everybody in lockdown has been focused Michael on Netflix Jones. and you talk about, yeah, The Last Dance and you talk about sport per se, about those things, about if you, if, if you keep doing the right things, you hope something will come right for you. So for me, it was always about, yes, I've started to get stick. Oh my God, this is strange. I've never had that before because when you were coming on at Aston Villa in the team or playing, it was in a team that was normally winning up near the top of the table. You were coming on when the LA's were being given out. So yeah. there was no thought process in your mind about a negative pressure. Whereas at that time, you end up in a situation where you're thinking, God, this is strange, this. How do I deal with this? Right, well, I have to keep 
I have to keep going. And and the truth is, we played against Leicester at home. We drew one all. I I would say I had a very very good game, but I missed a chance. Yeah. And I missed I remember, one yeah. of the, one the, of the only ones that comes back to me. Yeah. 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 One of the ones that comes back to me still. I joke about it. A side foot volley. And again, we broke from a corner. And if it had hit my knee, my ankle, my arse, there's a chance it would have gone in. Whereas I hit it, put it over the bar. And then the whole thing turned and it became even more challenging. So we kind of had that game. The following week, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday at home. Sheffield Wednesday were a very, very good team at that time. I was on the bench. We got beat Mm 4-1. As a player, you want to play, so you're disappointed you've been dropped. You just want to play and get back on again. Week after that, obviously, we went to... Highbury. Yeah, all the best. Really. Yeah, which, no, no, but again, I was, I was a sub, but I came on for half time and I did well. But you talk about football and you talk about everybody always has their footballing stories. I was, again, within the context of talking to someone recently, I was at the Emirates for, uh, it was actually the MIP course we spent one of the days at the Emirates Stadium. And when we went into the reception, there's a massive picture on the wall with Tony Adams celebrating his goal yeah the fourth goal and, yeah yeah and I'm in the background <laughs> so I took a picture of it and I sent it home to my son saying here's the reality he's in the picture getting the glory scoring <laughs> left foot half volley picking up the Premier League trophy and I'm there thinking I can't believe we've got four nil got beaten four nil away yeah. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it, was, it was a challenging time but it was a challenging time for lots of reasons well, that leads us perfectly onto the the Coventry game. If someone mentions your name and mentions Everton Football Club, it's it's linked to, to your goal against Coventry. So, let's talk about that. More of a three part question, if you don't mind. Let's talk about the builds up. Uh, you've touched upon mental health there and, and the pressure that that you know that week maybe the builds up to it. You personally, were you having sleepless nights going into that game as 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 a professional? No, no, because okay. I, I I was I was kind of excited by it like pressure I was I was it was um an experience and something I'd never I'd never seen before so I think we we knew from that week we knew kind of the seriousness of what was at stake Hmm. and we traveled back from Highbury on the Sunday there was a group of the players who'd been on the bench who actually asked could we play in the mini derby on the Monday night at Anfield because the club had a a commercial obligation with yeah. the sponsors at the time, one-to-one, that they had to go to a corporate day at Pontefract Races. Right. So, so on the Monday, so we were saying, I don't want to go to the races for a day. Wow. I want yeah. to yeah. play. So we played in the mini derby on the Monday. And again, between a mixture of the first team players, young pros mm. and players from the under-18s, we had a really good game, enjoyed the game, had a quieter day on the Tuesday, trained on the Wednesday, Thursday. I think Howard at that time was worried about the pressure on the players and contemplated another day off on the Friday. The players actually went to Howard and said, we don't want a day off. We want to train. We trained on the Saturday and unusually for a home game, obviously, again, we had an overnight stay. We stayed in a hotel at Parkgate. So Mm. the, the group and the squad were together. I think it was a funny week because obviously different players had done all the interviews. Um, and everybody kind of knew the magnitude and the seriousness of what was to come. But again, thankfully, having a positive experience within that day, I remember getting the bus across to Goodison and there was people out on the street really, really early. You yeah. know, flags, yeah. people yeah. cheering and clapping. You got to Goodison and you could think, oh my God, this, this feels a bit different. Yeah. You went out, the team had been named by then, so I knew I was playing, which was massive for me as a, 
as a blue. And then you had going out to warm up. And, and the funny thing about football fandom that is that despite kind of everything that had gone on that season, there was an atmosphere in the ground where it's like, well, no, everybody has to come together here because the consequences of what could happen just don't even bear thinking about. So there was a, there was a really, really special atmosphere that day. And well, then the game, you, you, you lead into the game, even the warm-up, I've said it all the time, one of the things that sticks out, the, the women's team had done incredibly well. They were on the, I think they'd won their league, they were on yeah, the pitch. Yeah. The, the youth team were on the pitch with the FA Youth Cup trophy. Yeah. It was just, just a, a brilliant atmosphere. Well, the, the second part of, of the Coventry question really is the, the, the opening six minutes of the game. Zed cars blasts through, the, the crowds are up for it, there's, there's blue and white everywhere, there's more uh, flags and banners than there usually is. The ball drops to you, you hit the top corner, 1-0 up. Can you remember the first few moments of that game, the atmosphere and the goal? Can you, can you recall what, what it was like? Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, it's like when you speak about it, everybody, every fan or every Everton... Um, fan or people I meet, even still today, they have their recollections or they have their feelings of that day. But it was just, it was an incredible atmosphere. One of the best mm. atmospheres I've experienced because, let's be fair, it was high stakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think everybody, everybody was aware of that. So, for me, then you have a situation where I've hit, like you say, I've had so many shots, they haven't gone in. All of the points spoke about earlier, that you hit one like that and you think, oh my God. And again, I don't think I gave it a huge amount of thought at the time, but what I went to possibly four or five years ago, I went to, I took my son to the first, his first game at Goodison. And again, I hadn't been back for, for quite a few years and there was no, no big deal around it. But be, before the game, the goal was shown on the screen. Right. And like, I think he was probably, he was probably eight or nine at the time. And you, I looked at him and you look at it through his eyes then. And then wow. you kind of put it all together again. Awesome. And you think, nice like, like, well, so, not, not, not going through the three questions, but if you walk back to the first part of that question, can you imagine being an Evertonian growing up in Dublin oh. in 1983-84? Yeah. Getting, get, getting to play for the team you supported. And again, that was the, don't get me wrong, that's the best team in Everton's history. The players yeah. are incredible. Yeah. I'm fortunate to get the opportunity to see them now, but to then ha have an outcome to have played so, uh, a, a part, as everybody did, in making sure that the nuclear catastrophic possibility of relegation didn't happen. Yeah, you look at some teams in the nineties. Leeds, Leeds went down and have never came back up since. I mean, Coventry yep. have had a really bad spell down there. Manchester City went City down to, to, yeah. to, to Division Two. If yeah. Weeds went down, and Forest. I mean, we're getting off the off the topic here, but with our finances at the time and the off the pitch stuff. I, I don't know how the hell we'd have got back. It was such a massive, massive game and, and, a, yeah, and a goal. Listen, Everton is Everton. Everton's a special club. And like we say, it's just nice that you don't even have to have that conversation. Yeah. As I say, the, yeah. the, our, our history speaks for itself in that respect. And like yeah. you say, never being relegated. It's far nicer having a conversation about never being relegated than, again, what may have been. And thankfully, that wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. And the final part of that, that Coventry question, if you will, is the is the last 20 minutes of that game. So Nick Barnby is sort of known for by myself and Judgy and Evertonian as, as not a very nice guy because of his <laughs> transfer to Liverpool. But it's it's forgotten that he missed the penalty to put us 2-0 up that game. Um, wasn't forgotten by me. <laughs> well, yeah. T ten, 10 minutes later, Thomas Myra drops one in the net from Dion Dublin. 
Um, and I swear to God, it started raining when that happened. The, the atmosphere <laughs> dropped. Um, the anxiety levels went up. Can you recall being on the pitch at that time and all of a sudden going from nearly 2-0 to 1-1? The crowds were telling you that Bolton were losing and then the anxiety levels go up. What was it like on the pitch at that time? Well, for the entertainment value and of the podcast, obviously the story worked out much better with regards to Nicky Barnby missing that penalty. Yeah, at, the yeah. time, at the time, at the time, 2-0 would have been like, happy days, that's what's yeah. done. Let's, yeah. let's uh, park the bus and build the wall and do all of the necessary things for however yeah. long. But I felt for Thomas because, again, having had the season he had, it was incredible. Yeah. Like you say, people will always say when the one went through from Dion Dublin, Part of the day, and again, when you go back to the unique and special atmosphere, was the fact that as the news started to come through then, and this is like we talk about where technology and broadcasting is now, hmm. obviously split screen. Chelsea it was, it was radios, those people next to me with radios. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but like Chelsea fans booing yeah, yeah. when they scored. And yeah. then obviously that was 1-0. And then I think it was Jody Morris scored again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 2-0. So people are doing the mental maths and going oh well no hang on a second draw was enough mm. so it was, yeah. it, it was it was it was a surreal day it was incredible and then you obviously the immediate release from the fans from everybody when the final whistle blew and everybody knew we'd stayed up so mm. it was incredible incredible but not to be repeated what was that yeah, like after yeah. what was that like after the game gareth was there a few beers on the coach to celebrate or no god no just relief really yeah <laughs> yeah yeah one of the things and again every it's back to the story some people had brilliant nights that night. Some people mm. still have some of the goodest and grass in the garden. Mm. People, you know, <laughs> different that. things on that. Yeah. So it was just one of those um, sat in the dressing room and just thinking for me, like you say, there's a, there was a beautiful irony to the fact that having had such a difficult time to have the outcome that I had. Yeah. But then also a recognition that like this can't happen again. Mm. And I don't but, know how it did happen. And, and, and as much as that, and also, partly excited as well because you're thinking I've come through what's been an incredibly difficult time and now I just I can't wait to kick on see what's yeah. next well a, a month later unfortunately Howard Kendall lost his job he, he was sacked in June and, and Walter Smith came in in July can you recall I know it's a long time ago to go back in the, in the, in the memory bank but can you recall how you felt at the time when Howard Howard was sacked were, were you gutted no these are the easy parts of it to be honest with you because <laughs> okay. I, I'd, I'd been I went to see Howard after Okay. And basically, and again, this is one of your heroes growing up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like we, we had a really, really open and frank conversation because I think the game had started to change then with regards to sports science um, analysis and different things like that. And that was something that I'd been kind of raised on. And it, it, it was different and difficult to get used to those things not being um, a priority, if you like, at Everton at that time. And there was a, we, there was a, a great conversation about for him, it was, you've come through a difficult time, I knew you would, and like, what an outcome. And for wow. me, it was like, nothing like this can happen again. And we just want to take Everton back to where we should be, which is not competing as relative, but at the higher and in the top end of the tables. And it was like, yeah, brilliant. Can't wait to get going. And I went away. And then you think, right, that's that had kind of closed the chapter and we're ready to go again. And then obviously... We talk about how football works. Walter Smith came in and in the first few days said to me, like, you can go. Wow. <laughs> so so you, end up, you end up having the outcome you did. And then I played eight minutes football for Everton the next mm. year. 
came on as a sub against Newcastle and played in the Caribou equivalent against Oxford at home. We got beat 1-0 because yeah. the manager had made a lot of changes in the team, as all managers do. We weren't match fit. They'd played six, seven league games. And that, and that was it. So it was uh, you go from the emotion and the outcome to football's reality sometimes where that's it. Now, again, talk about reflection and maturity. Football is all about decision-making and distraction. And for me, I obviously still wanted to play for Everton. I worked as hard as I could. There was an incredible group of players who were not in his plans at that time. And I always joke about it that pre-season started. The second season, Walter had been there. And the first season was obviously quite difficult. Again, second season, pre-season started on the 7th of July. And there was a group of us back for training on the 14th of June, running around Crocky Park. There was people out walking their dogs, trying to figure out who were these seven or eight Everton players. Because that was, was again, how managers and clubs put pressure on people to, to leave. So the lads were sending us pictures of pina coladas and palm trees on the holidays and we were we were running around crocky park <laughs> wow <laughs> well I, you, you kind of took took away my next question but obviously it, it was important that it did come from your perspective anyway two players that did arrive that summer with john collins and olivier decor as obviously still a player who's you know, you're chomping at the bit your priorities to try and get in the team did you did you take anything from john collins as a player because from what we hear he was a model pro john collins and no. Well, no. To be honest with you, no. Because and, and this this is only this is only me personally. Because at the end of the day, what football football is fascinating, and the psyche of football is fascinating. Because dependent on how comfortable you are in your surroundings determines yeah. your reaction to people. And as far as I was concerned, this was somebody who was brought in to replace me and play in my position. It was going to make Fair it harder enough. for me to play. So, I I like John Collins as a man. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But like, yeah. I wasn't looking at him and thinking, oh my God, look at John Collins and hey, this is going to be great. My position was... Take him down a notch if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I want to compete against him and I'm going to show that I'm a better player than him because I want to play. And that's part of being young. But the reality is it's a bit like um, sometimes the house always wins. So the point was you had a manager who'd come in, signed him. Yeah. And again, on big money and big resources having come from Monaco. So I was never really going to play. So that a lot of that energy and a lot of those things were wasted. The irony being with that second season was I did do incredibly well in pre-season and then the first team squad were going to Italy and you talk about decision-making. Walter Smith called me in for a meeting and he said, oh, like, I may have been wrong. I apologise. Right. You've been really, really impressed with how you've done. And with the youthful vigour, I turned around and said, no uncertain terms. I'm not, going, I'm not going to Italy for eight days to be one of your human mannequins just to make wow. the numbers up. I don't want to go. And that's the thing now where if you were looking at a young player or advising somebody, you advise them to react slightly differently to how I did. Particularly, particularly with the uh, reputation that, that Walter and Archie had as well. Yeah, but some reputation is relative. I don't buy into yeah. all of that. Like you say, people are very good at building their own persona and then people buy into it. I didn't enjoy working with them. And I knew my, my, my days were numbered at Everton. Do you know when the, he came on the basis of that? when Walter and, and Archie came in, we've had a similar conversation. We had Tony Grant and Michael Ball on the on the podcast, and they've said similar things in relation to Walter that Walter said that they could go. And they, and they've both said that their mentality for a short while maybe may have been that they'd outlast Walter and, and they'd stay. 
Did you ever think that that you'd outlast Walter and maybe get another chance? Yeah, but listen, Granty's one of my pals, right? And Granty was an exceptional footballer. Yeah. And like highly underrated. And again, oh, yeah. um, I always say that to anybody I speak to, and I, I say Michael Ball would have been at a different stage in his career then because he was only he was a lot he was younger. Yeah. So as I say again, footballers want to play, and you want to play on Saturday. Mm. You're not going to take a, a pragmatic tactical view that well, if I stay here, there's a chance he won't make it. The difference, and in some ways, unfortunately for Howard, on his third kind of time back at the club was that Walter Smith and it happens in clubs all the time so basically um, club sack manager chairman to justify sacking previous manager puts a lot more money in to demonstrate that the last manager wasn't very good and he was right to take the course of action he did Hmm. so like you say Walter Smith was given money to buy a lot of money to buy players when he came in but fundamentally not a lot changed no, it didn't. So yeah. the, 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 that, that same season, we were in the same relegation battle, the same yeah. battle. Yeah, but it's a bit like the Only Fools and Horses show with where Trigger won the award for having the same <laughs> brush as the council for 15 years. <laughs> Except he had 18 brush heads and 17 new handles. You know what I mean? So it's the same. Everything changed, but everything stayed the same. Yeah, so yeah class. You're looking at that. So you, you, your attitude changes, and it, it, it's one of those things because because of you're a player and you want to be the best without being disrespectful, you're not looking at the team and going, oh, I hope they win and qualify for Europe this year. You're looking <laughs> and going, I don't want the person who's playing in my position to play well. And yeah, then yeah. the knock-on effect of that is you're looking at it very narrowly because that's what football's about. Only 11 mm. can play. If somebody's taking your position and you don't think they're better than you, you're not going to be happy about it. And, and, and I don't think anybody is. And I, I think even in football, it's something that will never change. It's that, it's that, it's part of being an athlete. It's part of that battle. Is that you want to, you want to be the best. So if you're having a battle before you even get onto the pitch to have the real battle, you know it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Well, there's, there's an 18 month period there, if you will, of, of summer 1998 and December 1999 when you left and joined Bolton Wanderers. So let's call it 18 months or a year and a half. Did you carry any? if at all, any resentment at the time? Or do you know about your, how your Everton career ended? Oh, no, I don't carry any resentment at all because it's a, like we, we talk about and we're only having the chat because of the significant element of this. I think it's just one of the realities of football because what happens then with the club who doesn't want you is we actually ended up, there was a group of us, that group we used to be called the Bomb Squad which was the people that weren't involved anymore. Uh, we didn't still call get, it the bomb squad. <laughs> we, we, uh, we didn't get to go to the training grounds. So we, wow. so really? Colin, Harvey, Colin Harvey and the youth group ended up in a situation where we would we were meet at Netherton every day. So we, oh were training, we, were, we were training with the kids because they didn't even want us at Belfield. Who, who was that? Was that you, John Oster, the, John, John O'Kane? Yeah, no, Tony Grant, Michael Branch. Right. Um, probably some of the young players who'd won the cup but were young pros so that was they're the challenges for footballers and it's the thing sometimes people don't see is that you're still primed and ready to be playing football but mm. you're at a point where you're not even in the building anymore and like I had friends who came on loan Kevin Campbell came on loan Tommy Johnson came on loan and they were like turning around and going bloody hell guys we've been here for three months and we've seen you twice yeah. <laughs> what's, what's going on <laughs> So and then we would only get we would only be called to Belfield when the international breaks were on because obviously the numbers would be down for the training sessions. 
And then the irony would be you'd train and because you'd be motivated and want to show people how good you were, you would train really well. And then you'd get the call to say, yes, you need to be back at Netherton on Monday. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, but the reserves, again, Colin Harvey was awesome. Got massive respect for him. Andy Holden was there at the time. And it was a really, really good group of players because they, they would train properly and then you would play in the reserves, which was kind of the platform you had at that time, if you like. Yeah looking to impress with regards to trying to get a loan move or look to get a move. And then that's what happened with regards to, there'd been talk about me going to Preston, where David Moyes was at the time. But David Moyes, some of the feedback was, I'd heard he wasn't fit and I heard he was a bit of a maverick. So I ended up wow. going to Bolton when Sam Allardyce got the job and I was, I was Sam Allardyce's first signing at Bolton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how good was Sam Allardyce as a manager? Because us as Evertonians, we seen him a couple of years ago, and in black and white, he's done a fantastic job. We went from seventeenth to eighth, and he got the bullets. But some of the football, from my point of view personally, wasn't attractive on the eye. What what was Sam like? Am I wrong in saying that? Is he underrated? No, no, I don't. I think again, it's relative, isn't it? It depends mm. what you want to be, doesn't it? Mm. Like I think the the point at that time was it was his. It was his kind of first big job, if you like, and he, he'd come from Notts County and he had a relationship with Phil Gartside, again, God rest his soul, who was the chairman at the time. And there was already some really, really good players there. So, like, Bolton, to me, was an opportunity to play and not, not, not driven by resentment in any way, but an opportunity to prove yourself prove again. Yourself Football, yeah. Footballers yeah. want to play. So, everyone talks about money, and oh, Aaron, that's not what you judge it on. Everybody wants to play at three o'clock on a Saturday, and that that will, for players that really really want to, yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So, again, for me, my Bolton was incredibly strange because I signed on I, and trained on a Friday in Exton. Um, it was, I'd never experienced an atmosphere like it because nobody spoke for the training session, and it was only afterwards that somebody informed me that. On the previous Wednesday night, that was when um, Andy Todd had sorted out Phil Brown on a bonding session. Wow. <laughs> and and they, were, they, were, they, were, they were dealing with the leftovers of what had gone on there. And again, I, I, Andy Todd is a, was a really, really good guy. And I, I, I'd known him for years and years. And then Saturday I trained. I thought, oh my God, this place is surreal. The training ground, nobody speaks to anybody. <laughs> and that was, they were all obviously dealing with the stories of what had happened that week. Mm. And then on the Sunday we played Sheffield United away and I scored within six minutes. And it was like that massive sense of freedom, being back on a pitch again, being in a ground, big atmosphere and thinking this is what, this is what I should be doing. That's all about. Yeah, 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 very much so. I remember you scored a great goal at Highbury as well. Or was it a cross? No, well, yeah, but again, again, football is all about timing, and it's like you say, lo loving, loving seamen from twenty-eight yards, Ronaldinho. And Ronaldinho, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So again, I'll, I'll settle for that. Look, Fantastic. I mean, it's 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 been great to talk to Gareth. We're not going to keep you too much longer. We appreciate your time, no, but no, no problem. Let, let's talk us to the Evertonians for a moment. The, the club now, as as a fan, we've got the billionaire owner. We've got Carlo Angelotti as the head coach. Are we that far away from success? Do you think? Are we? Are we touching it? Are we? You know. Well, go on, to... tell me without being uh, define success. I think success for me as an Evertonian. Okay. I mean, I've I've seen the the 1995 FA Cup, um, and to give you a short story, when Everton finished fourth in 2004, 
I had a few beers and I stayed out. Um, I came in quite quite drunk, and my dad said to me, "What are you celebrating?" And I said, "We we finished fourth. What like are you not having a glass of wine?" Or and he went, "No, I've seen Everton bring trophies down Queens Drive. I'm not celebrating fourth." And I want that mentality. I want to teach my little boy that mentality. So for me, the first thing is a trophy. A trophy so yeah. so how, how far do you think Everton are away from from doing that, bringing a trophy down Queens Drive? I think I think the great thing about your dad is he's obviously seen the good, the really really good times. Yeah. And the folklore and the stuff that everybody buys into every time they walk past Goodison and you see the you see the main stand and you see all of the history yeah. and the people involved in it. I think the game has changed so much hmm. that we talk about a trophy and every season starts where you think, well, we, we have an opportunity, be it one of the cups or be it whatever. I think in looking at it uh, objectively, the biggest thing at the moment now is the manager. Okay. Yeah. I think there's, given the investment and the huge amount of investment that's gone in, and some would say in many cases mismanaged, mm. I think this is the first kind of point where you've got an exceptional leader there. And, one that there's an absolute consistency and pedigree to. But we move into a situation now where the biggest element of football, and I, I say football on a huge level, is, is your rec- recruitment. So the difficulty Everton have still now is trying to deal with that mismanagement with re- and putting a squad together that's capable of satisfying your ambition and dreams with regards to a trophy again hmm. and that's that's not going to be easy so I think improvement is one thing but the game is changing as well it's not just about Everton sat back and going well I hope to do this because every other team is looking at doing the same hmm. every other team is looking at strengthening every, there's a lot of other teams have huge resources so it's um, it's not going to be easy but as fans that's what that's what everybody aspires to is to see the team winning but yeah. winning more than not I think and I think the thing, the thing with Sam at that time is like Sam, Sam came in and did what Sam does, but that's not the Everton way. And I think he would have had a difficult job no matter what he had done hmm. to try and fit in with that. And that's, that's the pressure that tradition, history, success and a value system brings. So, well, so I, I want to put you on the spot, Gareth, um, massively, by the way. But uh, as a fan and both as a, as a professional and, and thinking about the, you know, the, as opposed to the course you've just gone through, what, what you're doing in your, your own professional career at the moment. If you're putting a managerial role at Everton tomorrow, someone puts you in there. What I'd would never be a manager again. No, not a manager, never. not a manager, you know, a senior role, whether it was in, you know, as part of the, the administration or, you know, business side of the club, whether it was, you know, some kind of directorial role. What would be your priority this summer? So if you're oh, in the position Marcel Brands is in. So gee, recruitment, recruitment is huge. But, but again, you talk about those roles and that role is to support the manager. So cool. one is to be able to give the manager the resources he needs, but then obviously working with the people within recruitment to be able to make that happen. And, that, and that's your challenge because if you're going for those top, top players that are going to make you better and take you to the position of challenging and get those fans excited at Goodison, that they're heroes, which is like you say, Richarlison, you look at different people now and you look at, like you say, the favourite players you'll have had over the years. I think that's that that's a big big job. The yeah. thing that I would speak about having done the course is that and even especially now with regards to coronavirus is that players are starting to become better educated which is rightly so because they spend 8 to 10 years, 12 years in some cases having a, 
a football career, but there's a space for them to get involved in the management and administration of the game, and I think that will only be a good thing. Yeah. So, so what, so what, what's next for you then, Gareth? You've just said there that you're not going to be a manager again. Um, so, what's next? What's next for you, Gareth Farley? Oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I work with a really, really good law firm in Liverpool. I'm still yeah. learning the law, which is kind of opposite. Having, having had one career, I'm fortunate that I do something now I really like. I've, um, I've been appointed as an arbitrator to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, the Premier League Judicial Panel. So, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate. I, I'm. I've kind of found a second career that, that I like, mm. but I also, football is, is heavily linked to that. And I, I, I think when you've been involved in football, you can never kind of outrun your past. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm very lucky. No, I mean, I, I work in the legal sector as well, and you never stop learning. It's one of those industries that's just, you know, you, you think you've got it nailed one day, and the next day there's a whole new challenge again. Yeah, I don't think there's many days where I think I've got it nailed, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, just me then. <laughs> so, so how are you finding being a supporter again? So you, you say you grew up in the 80s as an Evertonian. You've just mentioned there you took your young son to the ground recently or a couple of years ago. How are you finding going back to being a supporter of Everton Football Club? No, I, I, lo- I love going back to Goodison because I, I love the atmosphere that Goodison can generate and I love seeing the ex-players and I, I love being able to be a part of that and you can dip in or dip out. To be honest with you, I don't get down a lot because I do some work for the Premier League, which is a match delegate. So I can be, I probably do two or three games a month in that capacity, which is sort of supporting and assessing the referees. So looking at, I get to look at a different part of the game now, which is which is their role and how they go about it. And I have like built up a, a newfound respect for for the for the the officials they they do an incredible job but getting an understanding of everything that they have to go through so whilst we'll all moan about the coronavirus per se at least nobody's been speaking about VAR <laughs> yeah. through the lockdown so, <laughs> it makes it makes a change yeah <laughs> yeah and one of the one of the return to play protocols has specifically said that you don't have to use VAR between now and the end of the season right. so there's so there's, there's there's lots of things so again for me it's about stimulation and learning and again I'm, I've been really fortunate that Football has given me and continues to give me opportunities, but who knows where that will take me. Gareth, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you from from myself and Judgy Evertonians who watch you play for Everton Football Club and watch you score one of the most important goals in our history and an absolute gentleman to speak to as well. Thank you very much for coming. No, thanks a million. Really enjoyed it. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Gareth. Take care, mate. Thank you. No worries.